Welcome again to City Life. Uh, maybe, maybe it's your first time tonight. You're saying Newport News, Suffolk, 14 years, four years. There's a whole lot going on. But we are one church in two locations. Newport News has been there for 14 years. Some of us were in Newport News for years before we ever planted here in Suffolk four years ago. So we've been here in Suffolk for four years, building God's kingdom. And we've seen uh, loved ones, right, people we love that have become a part of the family of faith come and go. And one of them sent us a video message this week, and I was like, okay, we're, we're definitely going to show it. So I just wanted to show this message sent from the Sharps. Hey, City Life. We heard it was your anniversary. And we just wanted to drop in to let you guys know what an impact you had on our family and our lives and what an impact you still have on us today. The people are the church and you guys are genuine. Uh, you, you truly care about other people and um, you all were always asking, how can we be praying for you this week? You always made us feel like part of the family. And I never felt the need to change, but you all encouraged me to change, to be more like Christ. And that has changed my life. Also, it was always a great joy to serve on the SLT team and at College Square. Yeah, I, I had a really good time at College Square and serving on the SLT teams. I uh, met a lot of great people, got involved with the community. And it was just a real joy and pleasure to be able to do that. And uh, I think for me, the biggest takeaway and the biggest impact that I had was uh, going to the men's camp. Um, being able to get out there get on the campfire, be able to worship, uh, sing some songs, be able to connect with, with some of you. Uh, it was just, it was so impactful for me. I was able to break down some of the walls that I had been built up for, for a very long time. And it was really good to see those come down and be able to move on with my life a little bit and, and be able to uh, just really develop and, and be more like Christ. So that's something that I'll take with me for the rest of my life. So I can't thank you enough. We love you. We miss you. Happy anniversary from Mississippi. Bye. So I share that for a couple reasons. First of all, because, hey, it's the Sharps, right? <laughs> I haven't seen them. I talked to them for about 30 minutes last week. But that's family. And you think about the names like the Sharps, the Measts, the Morseburgers, the... The Finleys, the Kellys, you go down a list, you keep adding to that of people that since we planted four years ago came in, became a part of the family, and then for military or other reasons, they have since moved. But if they came here tonight, like if Roger walked through those doors in his hoodie and shorts like he always wore, right, we, I'd give him a hug, we'd shower him in love because they're family. And I show that because just to remember the, 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 really the family of faith that isn't here tonight but has been a part of the last four years. And I share that for a second reason because there's, a family, there's members of this family of faith, you know, that looks towards the past. I believe there's people that are going to be a part of this family that aren't here yet, right? In the next four years, we'll come in and become a part of this family of faith. But that's not going to just be dependent on, like, Google searches and, and uh, whatever. Like, it's going to depend on us walking in the pathway of reaching. Which really is, when we talk about reaching, it's the spiritual discipline of evangelism and sharing the hope we have and sharing what we have in Christ. We've been in this series, Lift, and it's been borrowing from this illustration that's written uh, by Eugene Peterson in one of his books. And Anthony was joking if I was going to read it again tonight. It's a long passage. <laughs> but what it is, is Eugene Peterson, he's at his, his home in Montana, and he's watching these sparrows and these baby sparrows on this branch that was about four feet over the water. And they were old enough to where the, the 
mommy and daddy sparrow. I'm a dad. Now I talk like that, right? The mommy and daddy sparrow are like pushing the sparrows off that branch. They're pecking at their talons as they're trying to cling to this branch. What those babies didn't know is before they ever hit the water, they were going to start flying. The wings would kick in and they'd take off. And we've been talking about what Eugene Peterson mentions as untried wings. Right, so often there are disciplines, there are things that God is calling us into, greater depth of relationship, and so often we're clinging to a branch over here. Eugene Peterson talked about giving and how we cling to our resource and what resources and what gives us security. Last week we looked at fasting, and so we cling to what fills us and fulfills us. And this week we'll, excuse me, tonight we'll look at reaching. And so often when God wants to call us into sharing our faith, what do we cling to? Cling to the branch of comfort. I'm comfortable over here. I'm not really comfortable doing all that. So I want to turn to scripture tonight. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, and then 2 Corinthians 10, verses 15 through 16, the same letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. First off, as he's greeting them, in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Compassion and comfort, two key words tonight. But later in that same letter, he speaks words to the church in Corinth that I've prayed over every ministry I've ever led, whether it was Revolution Church and that youth ministry in Newport News or here as a church in Suffolk. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 15, he says, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. For we don't want to boast about work already done in somebody else's territory. Tonight we're going to talk about comfort, compassion in those regions beyond us. But let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would stir our hearts tonight. We thank you that you are the God of comfort and the Father of compassion. And God, if we're walking through a rough season tonight, God, if we come in discouraged and feeling defeated, God, I pray that you will be a God of comfort for every person walking in those shoes. But God, I also pray that as your sons and daughters, as you're the father of compassion, you would stir a renewed compassion in our hearts for each other, in this room, for our region, for our city, and all the places you're calling us to reach. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've made mention in this series that we're calling Lift of the, the multiple times in Ezekiel where it says, then the Spirit lifted me up. And we don't know if this was like, I don't think Ezekiel grew wings, right? We don't know if this was literal or if it was part of one of his visions. But he says multiple times in Ezekiel that the Spirit lifted him up. It happens at his initial call, which again we've talked about. It seems like he's drug away Kicking and screaming. Talks about he went away in bitterness because it was a bittersweet calling. But one commentary I was reading, and I picked up when studying Ezekiel's call, it said the following. And I believe this is important for us. It said, God comes to Ezekiel entirely unsought and reveals himself to the prophet not for the sake of giving him the quiet time to end all quiet times, but rather to commission him for a task and entrust him with a message. Man, isn't that true of us? I know it's true of me. My first impulse when I come to God is I want comfort. Like when I put Raj on the bus and then my next step is take whatever coffee I've got left and pull up with my Bible, I'm like, God, I would appreciate some comfort, right? Like we like comfort. When I come to worship, you know, I'm in a worship set. I, wanna, I want comfort. I want the warm fuzzies, the good vibes. And praise be to God. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, he is the God of all comfort. 
Not just a little comfort, not just a little bit to get you by. All the comfort we'll ever need. All the assurance we'll ever need through the cross and the empty grave. All the hope we'll ever need in what Jesus Christ did for us. But we can get so fixated by comfort and settled in as a church and believers that we become blind to the second part of God's identity in 2 Corinthians 1.3. That he's the father of compassion. You know, if you reminisce, we go all the way back to the first summer series we ever had here at City Life Suffolk. It was called Big Enough for Both. We can make all these kind of dichotomies about God when really he's big enough for both. Grace and truth. Ambition and humility. Free will and sovereignty. And this qualifies as God being big enough for both. Maybe you would think, well, what's the difference between compassion and comfort anyways? Well, let's look at the word for compassion that Paul uses. The Greek word for compassion used by Paul means the visceral organs, or your inner organs, your heart, your lungs, your liver. So compassion is a deep, visceral, gut-wrenching affection. Dare I say uncomfortable level of affection. It's the same compassion Jesus feels in Matthew 9.36 when it says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know what's key is that before Jesus feels compassion, before that's stirred up in him, he looks around. He sees the people that are surrounding him and he sees their need. You know, when we consider our worship, it's, we do look upward, right? We look up to Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And as we're worshiping, we often look inward and downward, right? We, we take God's word and we're like, how can I apply this to my life? How can, I, how can the Holy Spirit help me look more like Christ through God's word? But what about looking around? Or what about looking out even beyond these four walls? God is the God of all comfort, but he's also the father of compassion. And the very fact that, that we will need comfort from God speaks to the fact that he pulls us out of our comfort zone. If we got saved and then just chill in our comfort zone, we wouldn't need a God of comfort, right? But he calls us to be provoked by compassion and reach those needs around us, and he meets us there with more comfort. So the pathway of reaching, again, it speaks to our, our, our task and mission Right, to share the good news and impact the world around us. But how often are we found clinging to that branch of comfort? Again, as we read in the beginning, Paul says in that same letter to the church in Corinth, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. And this is my prayer for our church as we continue to grow in years and as we continue to grow as a family, our after the sharing service just a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a few women in the back that were like, just, re just thinking about how much we're a tribe. Right? We have each other's back. We're a family. We pray for each other. We care about each other's stories. And that's beautiful. That's right out of the Bible. That's Acts 2 being walked out. But my prayer is that our love for tribe, our love for our family of faith would never cause us to lose sight of what's beyond. Right? Beyond me, beyond you, beyond these four walls and the calling we have out there. There's three levels when we look at that passage, three levels of beyond you that I want to point to tonight and three excuses we often give. And the first level beyond you is really just this room. You know, hear me, church should be about you drawing to Christ, drawing near to Christ. Right? As it talks about in James, when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. But, but there is something deeply personal and meaningful when you step into worship that you have an encounter with God. But Paul's first letter of correction sent to the church in Corinth, within it he spends a good piece talking about the role of tongues and prophecy in church. You know, in our Bible, it's chapter 14. 
Sorry, you ain't supposed to see that meme yet. <laughs> I'm hungry too, man. I'm fasting for like forever. I'm ready to go eat some nothing bunt cakes and I'm gonna hit up five guys. That's a rabbit trail though. But uh <laughs> fasting and preaching. Both are great. I was telling Anthony right before I walked up here. Both are great. Combined is wild. There might be some rabbit trails tonight. But uh <laughs> He spends a good portion of, of this letter to the church in Corinth, the first one he sends, talking about the role of, of tongues and prophecy in church. And we see in this chapter, which is chapter 14 in your Bibles of 1 Corinthians, it highlights the fact that, yeah, when you come into God's presence and worship with others, there is something deeply personal and edifying about it. But the chapter also continues in a concern that Paul has had throughout this letter. Because six times in this letter, he talks about the, the outsider among you. Three times in, in chapter 14, he talks about the unbeliever that's in your midst. And underneath the teaching about the proper place for tongues and prophecy is this clear criticism. Why are you so self-absorbed in your spirituality that you aren't even concerned with the visitor among you? Right? If we truly worship the God who leaves the 99 for the one, and we have that same calling, when the one joins the 99... We should be throwing a party. We should be showing them love. And as we celebrate our anniversary, I have to ask, if Paul wrote our church a letter in our fourth year in the year 2020, would he echo the same challenge? Why are you so self-centered in your spirituality that you aren't concerned with a visitor among you? And I like to think he wouldn't say that. You know, one of my favorite (laughs) uh, stories to tell from our four years is Kathleen Houston. She came either the first or second week we had ever met. And I was talking to her after service, and she said, I've been in the church for decades, and I've never felt so welcomed or at home as I felt tonight. Like, that made me proud then. It still makes me proud now, and I like to think that we haven't changed. But listen, if Kathleen was here, I'd have to apologize to her. I'd probably have to apologize to half of you in here. Because if we've been talking in this area at the end of service, and we're just talking about how the week went or what's coming up next week, there's a chance I've tapped you on the shoulder and been, like, looking over your, your head and say, hey, Pause, time out, I'm going to go talk to that person. Why do I do that? Not because I I don't appreciate you, I don't appreciate the conversation, but because I realize most weeks there's somebody that comes in here for the first time, whether it's with the family or alone, and that takes courage. It's like when you're in school and you're the first time in the lunchroom, you don't know where to sit, right? You don't know anybody. We would encourage our kids, hey, be friendly to that person. How are we doing it as adults in church? You know, like, <laughs> I just think if, if we talk about we want to reach this region for God, but we can't reach the person across the pews, it's like talking about, I want to hit a home run, but we're striking out a t-ball, right? You're striking out with slow pitch. You know, let's look up and down in our worship. Look to Jesus. Look to our lives and what he's trying to speak to us and change in us. Let's receive the comfort he gives. But let's not get so stuck in our comfort that we forget to look around and consider what's beyond me, both in this moment and beyond this moment. And look, it can get uncomfortable. I'm an introvert, right? I talk to other introverts. It gets awkward, right? But the question I ask myself, <laughs> I apologize to any of you where your first week are like, who is this guy? How can he talk on a mic, but he can't talk to me, right? But I have to ask the question, would I rather this person come to church and feel like we were over friendly or risk them feeling like nobody cared, totally uncared for? To me, that's a no-brainer. I'd rather have the former than the latter. You know, but this week, the discomfort probably isn't relational if you've been fasting. The discomfort is right here. (laughs) You're ready for some nothing bunt cakes and whatever you're going to eat for dinner. But every week, 
regardless of whether we're fasting or fast or not, we're eating, right? This meme that y'all just saw, I'm very keenly aware of this, right? Like I am what's holding you back from food. And we meet Saturday nights at five o'clock. Some of y'all eat dinner at five o'clock. I just realized if I talk long enough, this is going to be talking louder than I am. And you'll heed this more than anything coming out of my mouth. And I laughed at this, but I live at Starbucks. It's like my home away from home. It's my office away from the office in Newport News. When I'm not going up to Newport News, I head up to Chesapeake Square, Starbucks. Wednesday or Friday, everyone coffee on me. I'm probably there. Uh, but there's been a few visitors of late, too, from Starbucks. Like, hey, it's David from Starbucks. It's like Jake from State Farm. Except it's David from Starbucks. Oh, look, it's Sarah from Starbucks. Just people that I've had connections with at Starbucks. And people ask me why I don't go to Gather, which is another coffee shop right up the road from the Starbucks I go to. You know, it's owned by a church. The money raised goes to fight trafficking. And, and like, why as a pastor would I not live there? Well, it's because everybody there is already a pastor. Well, it's probably exaggerating, but, you know, people writing a paper for Bible college, it's folks that go to church together talking about their walk. I go to Starbucks, and I'll talk to somebody about what I'm studying, and the next sentence they curse, right? Like, I like that. That's where we're supposed to be. That's the being, you know, light in a dark place. I don't need to go somewhere where it's already so bright you're blinded, right? There are people that will ask me what I'm studying, and I'll find out it's because they haven't been to church in years. They just want a little nugget, right? Because They just want a little, little piece. So just know I'm preaching these sermons at Starbucks too. But uh, the baristas, they're basically family at this point. They know my name. I know their name. It's like cheers. That's a throwback. Dean, you know, just trying to cater to y'all. <laughs> Everybody knows my name. And uh, they have my coffee ready for me by the time I get to the register. They know what I want. I'm a creature of habit. But I would never want to join their family of baristas because they deal with just awful people. Like, there are people that they're savages before they get caffeine. I'm walking in sometimes hearing, like, the, the back and forth over the drive through and I'm like, are you serious? Like, social skills just don't kick in before these people get their coffee. They deal with some of the rudest people. But, you know, I've talked to them. I've talked to at least three or four individuals. Where, you know, we're just talking, like, what's the busiest time? What's the slowest time? What's the time you really don't want to work because of the people you're dealing with? Guess what the number one answer was? The only answer, the one every single one of those baristas gave me. Sunday, about 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., when church lets out. Every time they tell me that, it drives me up the wall. Like, why would you, why would you even go to church if you leave the church with no motivation to love people, right? Like, Jesus tells us the greatest commandment outside of loving God is loving others the way that he's loved us. I'm like, why would you go to offer a sacrifice of praise when you can't obey the simplest commandment to love people afterwards? Obedience is greater than sacrifice. It says it again and again in Scripture. Sorry, getting wound up. We're not even the Sunday crowd, right? We meet on Saturday nights. They ain't talking about us. I'm always like, hey, well, guess what? We meet on Saturday nights, and we're not those jerks, so you should come worship with us, right? But, but let's not be people who can worship Jesus and then walk out those doors and just be the biggest jerks in the world, right? Regions beyond those doors. And there's a region as we keep it moving beyond our next meal. It's Monday through Friday. The grind, your workplace, maybe it's school. The region that at times feels entirely disconnected from what happens here on a Saturday night. Sometimes we can slide into this life of duality as if there's a whole slice of the spectrum of our lives that's sometimes separate from our faith 
or God's grace. But you know, in Genesis, God's a gardener, landscaper. He employs Adam. In the Gospels, Jesus is a carpenter. God understands the dignity and worth of work. And wherever you go during the week, he's there with you. You didn't end up at your job by accident. You didn't end up at your school and God's like, good luck, buddy. Right? No, he puts you there to be a light and to reach people. We've said it before. This is not the front lines of ministry. This isn't where true ministry happens. This is where it says in Ephesians, this is where we're equipped for ministry. So we can go out back to the front lines wherever we are, whether it's school, college, workplace, at home with your kids. That is the front lines of ministry. The question is, are you mindful of the piece of beyond that God's already placed you in? All right, nobody else in city life can reach where you've been put because you've been put there uniquely by God to be a light and to be salt. But there's so often three common excuses that keep us from feeling compassion like Christ did. And we cling to this branch of comfort and just quickly, because we're all hungry. The first one is often, I don't have the gift. But if you read through the New Testament, it talks about all kinds of gifts that the Spirit gives us. Evangelism isn't one of them. Oh, there's people that are evangelists, but guess what they do? They train us all to do evangelism. It's not the great suggestion, the great commission. We're all called to it. But when we cling to the branch of comfort, we make it a suggestion. And these other excuses often tie in, like, I don't know enough. This is really just fruit of living in our culture, where we're more concerned about being and looking right than we are about loving people. So we think we can't love people or share the love of Christ until we have all the answers. But you know, it never says in the Bible you should have all the answers to every question. It does say, however, in Peter's letter to the church, we should have an answer to one question. Why do you have the hope you have? That's an easy one. Jesus Christ. Right? From there, right, you can be humble enough and say, you know what? I don't know. As a pastor, I say that. Right? Nowhere in the Bible does it even say the pastor should know all the answers to the questions. It helps. Right? But the third, well, just to wrap up this second, don't buy the lie that you don't know enough. Again, that's fruit of our culture where you feel like you have to know every answer, be right, and they're wrong. No, no, no. Just share the hope you have. How do you, why do you have the hope you have? It's Jesus. And work from there. Another lie is, is I'm not holy enough. This one's common. I feel like I've got to clean my life up before I can ever share the hope that I have. And it's painted as humility. But it's false humility. It's pride. It's a focus on self. If you, we talked last week, humility is focusing less on yourself and more on others. It's not thinking less of yourself. If you have humility, you'll look to the needs around you and think, man, I need to share the hope that I have. The gospel isn't about becoming good enough or at one point reaching perfection so that God can finally bless you or you can finally receive the good news. If that was the case, then maybe, yeah, you should brush up before you go out and share it. But the beauty of the gospel is, yeah, I'm imperfect. (laughs) I'm unholy, but it says in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the beauty of the gospel. Authenticity, vulnerability, it's a lost art, but it's at the heart of the gospel. So as we celebrate our anniversary to close, I have to ask, if Paul wrote a letter to our church, what would he say? Do we care for people? Do we care that we don't care? Do we have compassion? Are we clinging to comfort? Are we still sinking the the quiet time to end all quiet times, which isn't a bad thing. But do we feel compassion when we look around, when we leave this place, when we enter into those beyonds that are beyond us and beyond this place? Because if I could have the worship team come up, Jesus had compassion. It says in that same passion that he he wept over people. His compassion was gut-wrenching. That's why Jesus left a legacy. 
No human being in history has left a legacy quite like Jesus Christ did. And it wasn't a legacy of success, at least on the world's terms, or even think about it, the church's terms. If Jesus was a church planner working for a church planning network and he had to give like a report after three years, it would have been, I've lost thousands of people and the 12 people still with me are about to ditch me, right? Turn tail and run and abandon me. Yet Jesus had more significance than anyone in human history. Because while success in the world's terms is about what you can accomplish in the world's terms, significance is about who you are to others. And Jesus was significant. He had compassion on others. He was moved to reach others. And my prayer is that we will be the body of Christ we're called to be. That we'll be his hands and feet. But that's going to take having the heart of Jesus that's stirred with compassion. We're four years in. In another four years or another four years after that or another four years after that, what will our legacy be? There's all kinds of measures of success, but I hope we have significance beyond these walls. People that don't even call this place home yet, where we're being a light, we're being the hands and feet of Jesus outside of this place. God, we pray that as our faith continues to grow, that our sphere of influence and activity in this region will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond us. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the Sharps or Kellys or Morse Burgers that surround us every day. And I pray that you remind us this beautiful reality of the gospel, that we're adopted into your family, that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we become your sons and daughters, and you become our father. And I pray that we remember, as it says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 1, that you are also the father of compassion. May it be in us. But if we could all stand and as we begin worship to close, God is also the God of comfort. I don't know what you're walking in now. I don't know if you're in a hard season, a hard time, a hard week, a hard day, a hard year. If you need prayer for anything, Christina and Carrie would love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. But let's let God stir our comfort. Let's let God stir our compassion. Let's be big enough to carry both with us every day. And if you would think tonight, man, I've always held back from entering into a relationship with Jesus because I thought I had to get my life together first. I thought I had to clean up before I could come into Christ's presence or let him into my heart or let him be Lord and Savior. It's a lie. The beauty of the gospel is while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and we can turn to him and receive grace and mercy that's new every morning. So Jesus, we praise you as we finish and wrap up, Lord God. We thank you for your faithfulness the past four years and every year. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy that follow us. Sing and praise you in this place.